0: It's been a few weeks since I've been up here, actually closer to seven, but the last times that I've been here, um, I've been jumping into the book of Acts, and I wanted to continue along in the story of Acts. I see so many parallels between our church and the church in Acts as they were getting off the ground, as they were confronting issues. And the Lord began to work in such a powerful way in the church. But I know some of you weren't there for that last time. I want to give a little bit of of update to in summary of the text that we've already covered. But first let me open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you that you have made us part of the body of Christ and that we collectively are, attend, are, are intended to be your witness to the world. Father, your means to communicate your gospel, invitation of salvation to a lost and hurting world. Father, we want to grow As a church, we want to be equipped as a church to fulfill our calling. And Father, we need your Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill that calling. And I pray this study this morning would help us understand that equipping of the Holy Spirit. And Father, desire it even more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So our text for this morning is Acts two, fourteen to twenty-one. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along. And my title for the for this morning's sermon is This Promise is for you. This promise is for you. And again, prior to Acts two, fourteen, we know that the book of Acts is really a follow-up letter by Luke to his gospel. He's writing to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus, and he wants to communicate all the truths of the Christian faith, how it was established, and to strengthen him. And Acts picks up in the final days just before Jesus' ascension into heaven, But before Jesus leaves, Luke records in Acts 1, 4, and 5 that Jesus ordered the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus goes on to tell them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Chapter 1, verse 8. And some two months later, when they're all gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in supernatural power. And we hear Luke tell us that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the house and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The scene inside the house with the apostles and the other disciples is explosive. Outside, As the commotion spreads, even more so, the multitude, the text says, is amazed and perplexed and says to one another, what does this mean? Some are mocking. They're only filled with wine. It's just a party. They're filled all right, but it's not with wine. The scene is this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it has caught the attention of thousands who are attending the festival of Pentecost. This crowd is probably in the outer courtyard of the temple. They are described as devout men from every nation, and they are there to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. The temple grounds are packed, it is a day of sacred assembly. Let me read our text this morning beginning in verse 14 of chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, the scene has certainly changed dramatically since the end of the Gospel of Luke when the disciples were confused and scared and uncertain about the future, here we see Peter completely transformed. He takes his stand, his resolute before the crowd. The eleven stand with him, steadfast. The fears and the confusion of the previous weeks seem to have evaporated. And prompted by the Holy Spirit, Peter speaks. And you can note, His courage, note the solidarity of all the apostles. They stood as one in response to those gathered around them. And this was not a crowd that was necessarily friendly to them. We should ask ourselves, even as we get into this scene, how often do we ignore or resist the prompting of the Holy Spirit. How often do we hesitate to act, to say something, to fill a need? Do you resist speaking when a word needs to be spoken or fail to take charge when a ministry needs leadership? We all do it. Perhaps a better question is, Why do we hesitate? Why do we hesitate? We need to ask, do I believe God can make me sufficient for the task? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. We need to see our sufficiency coming from God And in this scene, their sufficiency is the empowering of the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. Second, we can ask, am I leaning on God's limitless resources rather than on my own cleverness or limited abilities, particularly in difficult situations? Paul told the Corinthian church that opposition to their ministry got so bad At one point, that they thought they were goners. I think he describes them as dead men. But he tells them that this was so to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Brothers and sisters, we walk by faith. Do not put your trust in yourself, but in God. Who is able to raise the dead. And thirdly, we can ask ourselves do I believe God sovereignly ordains the events of my days for my good and his glory? Paul says in the Ephesians, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you are in Christ, God has prepared a good work for you, and he will see it through. We just need to step out and trust him in that work. Well, Peter speaks. He speaks without hesitation, and first he tells them, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the, only the third hour of the day. And what he means by that is that this is a sacred festival. This is a, a, a sacred festival. A fast is in place, and he knows these devout men would never break that fast prior to 10 a.m. The crowd knows they're not drunk, and Peter knows they know these men are not drunk. You no, know, this was something else, something entirely different. And here, Peter speaks plainly. The meaning of the supernatural events unfolding before them is, Peter declares, what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He tells them it is an unprecedented time of signs and wonders, the visible display of the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps these men had never considered that scripture could or would be fulfilled in their own time. Did you know God's word warns us that we must be ready and expect him to fulfill his word when we least expect it? Jesus said, therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, the text from verses 17 to 21 is Joel's prophecy. In 17 to 18, we see hopeful signs of God's power. He talks about the pouring out of his spirit on all flesh. Previous to this, God would empower certain prophets, Isaiah, Elijah, Joel, and so forth. But now this is different. God is pouring out his spirit broadly and plentifully. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Meaning they will speak by divine inspiration. Even as Peter is doing here. Identifying this text with the events that are happening. And then he says, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. You know, turn over to Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at an incredible example of what Joel is speaking of here. In chapter 10, what we have recorded is really the first outreach of the apostles to the Gentile community. Prior to this, even though the church had been founded, they weren't really thinking this is going beyond the Jewish population. But God is going to show him differently. Beginning in verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier, from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So, what we have here is a devout Gentile, not a Jew. Who God is speaking to through a vision. Let's follow the story. Verse 9 The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion and an upright and God fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear. What you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So picture this scene. Peter by means of a vision, confirmation, by visitors, is called to just go to a Gentile's house. By faith, these Gentiles have gathered everybody basically that they know, their entire family, their friends, into the house. The scene is packed. Peter walks in. So, when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter he is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. The pressure is on Peter to deliver at this point. And the Holy Spirit does not let him disappoint but to those who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here... It's just such a great story, and it is Peter fulfilling the exact prophecy of what Joel said is going to happen when, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the apostles and upon the disciples, and they are empowered to become witnesses in the world. And one of the reasons that we see so many examples in the early church of these Dramatic events is, of course, this is all before there is any scripture. There is no New Testament at this time to, to give a testimony of the church. We have that now. We have the scriptures that ground us in the gospel. And here, the Holy Spirit, through means of visions and dreams, is giving authority the apostles, and the apostles' message. And one of the things we learn is never put limits on what God is going to do. Well, this is my ministry, but it doesn't go past here. I get involved over here, but I never get involved over there. Peter never expected that he would be sent to the Gentiles. And his first response was, I can't, they're unclean. but he listened to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit had a ministry for him there. Did you know many missionaries report there is in the world today an outpouring of the Holy Spirit taking place around the world? There's reports constantly of what's happening in atheistic China or Hindu India or Islamic Iran men and women report visions of Jesus. It's it's amazing stuff. But the proof is millions are coming to faith in Christ. God is pouring out his spirit across the world. And this is what the prophet Joel said would take place in the last days. So we need to understand what are these last days? Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 1. The writer of Hebrews makes the last days very clear. Verses 1 and 2. Excuse me. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets just like Joel. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And down to chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay attention, we, put, we must pay much closer attention while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So God once spoke through the prophets, prophets like Joel, about these last days. God now speaks to us through his son. And he gives us this this stern warning How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Well, Joel goes on in verses 19 and 20 to speak really of ominous signs of God's display of power. He speaks of wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, the sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. The other side of this last days, in the outpouring of the spirit, there is opposition to what God is doing in the world. And it will not all be easy. Paul, in encouraging his protege, Timothy, in his second letter, seeks to encourage him, but prepare him. having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Brothers and sisters, we are to serve God, but we need the Holy Spirit to do it. Without him, the task is too great. Joel says, all these signs will be evident before the day of the Lord comes. The great And magnificent day. So, what is the day of the Lord? Many writers have spoken of it. I want to share a couple passages. One, Jesus himself in Matthew 24 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign. Of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Paul spoke of it to the Thessalonians in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 2 For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. In these last days, God is pouring out his spirit on everyone. He is empowering and equipping his people to be witnesses of the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he is warning of the Lord's imminent return. And then our final text in in Peter's quote of Joel's prophecy, verse 21, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And folks, That's our message. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel said it a thousand years ago. And it was a message from Paul to the Philippian jailer who cried out, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul responds, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. No stipulations. Put your faith in Christ. You will be saved and your household will be saved. And it was Paul's message in his letter to the Roman church. He says in chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the... With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And then he says in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Quoting this very text from Joel. This message is for the world. It's not for a select few It's for every one of your neighbors. It's for every one of your family members. It's for your spouse. It's for your children. It's the message for ourselves. God has poured out his spirit that we may be his witnesses to the end of the age. Now, I know many people in here, but some I don't. And if you have put your faith in Christ, Acts gives us clear marching orders, if you will. And he gives us the way ahead. Do all through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And he will equip us to be his witnesses. But if you are one who has not taken this step, you have not cried out to the Lord, you do not see your need, I would ask, why would you resist God's invitation? The world has nothing of real value to offer you. Jesus said in Mark 8, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And that's the world we live in. The vast majority of the world is racing around Trying to gain the world to get a step up and in the end it will be empty and they will forfeit their own soul so my plea is that you will hear these words you will hear the words of Joel you will hear the words of Peter you will hear the words of Paul All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And his graciousness extends only for a time. That's what he means by when the Lord returns. These are the end times, the last days. And in those last days, it's a window of opportunity. It's a window of opportunity to respond to God's free gift of salvation through Christ. And I pray that you take that offer. Let's pray. pray. Father, thank you for the book of Acts and for the prompting of your Holy Spirit that Luke would gather this record for us. Thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness to fulfill your promise that you would equip your church, you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Father, I, I pray you would help us to realize you have done that. And that, Father, you desire for us to be part of your redemptive plan Paul said you have made us ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation and we seek to reconcile men and women to God through Christ Jesus. And Father, we give you thanks that you have fulfilled your promise, that you provide your spirit to empower us to do just that. Father, help us as a church To stand in one accord, to stand together, to boldly proclaim the message of the gospel without fear and without hesitation. And Father, we will just stand back and see the glory of your work in our world. men and women, coming to faith in Christ. Father, make it so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.